This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. Talk Catholic with Tim Kilcoyne for Saturday. Don't forget your first Saturday devotions to Our Lady. And we have part two today with John Henry Weston of LifeSite News. And in our last session with John, he was alluding to the formation of priests and the pressure on our bishops. And I was giving a little short rendition of my own trials through the 1970s. And so let's pick it up right there, and then we'll return to a little bit of our book review on You Shall Stand Firm with Father William Casey of the Fathers of Mercy. Yeah, I used to come home to Mom and Dad, and I'd say, you know, I don't know what they're teaching down there, but it ain't Catholic. <laughs> well, how how in the world do they do this? And this is phenomenal today. I mean, the church that they're talking about doesn't exist. Yeah. So when Pope Francis, he's been one of the ones who's been most... Um, forthcoming, if mm. you will, on this. He talks about this attitude of rigidity, <laughs> condemnation, and of, you know, people that are trying to hide things. We're insecure. Yeah. The yeah. defensiveness. Yeah, code for Neanderthal. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, but wait a minute. Where? Like, when did you see this? Like, when did you see a priest in a pulpit condemning those? I know, people? I know. <laughs> God bless you for saying it. When? I know, I'm like wondering, what time warp are they in, truly, honestly? Go ahead. No, exactly. No, but they don't even, they don't mention contraception at all, at all, at all. John, you know, like, not in my lifetime have I ever, I'm 64 years of age, I have not heard virtually anything on the most mundane topic as premarital sex. <laughs> okay. No, premarital, cohabitation. In my whole lifetime. Um, no, no. Where's the fire and brimstone sermons? I, I like. I'm just. I'm baffled. It's like, who? Where have you been? You know. I mean, I went. I know. I, I, so, I, Tim, I've got to tell you a funny story. Yeah. And this is honest to goodness true. <laughs> when so Pope Francis arrives on the scene in 2013, and he starts right away with stuff. Now, okay, call me naive, but I, I'm. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I honestly thought, oh, gosh. In Argentina, they must be preaching fire and brimstone from this. Like, it must be coming from the pulpits. And, and like, wow. So I went, of course, to look up in Argentina. I, I, called a, uh, I called a priest in Argentina. I was introduced. Nice. And I asked him, I said, whoa, are they really doing that? At first, there was a silence. Mm. <laughs> a couple of seconds. And then it was like, uh, no. In fact, found out that it was very liberal there, just like it is here. Yeah. That's where it all started. <laughs> I, I know, but wait a minute. Then what? What? How, what sense does that make? And that's why when you talk about stuck in a time warp. Oh yeah. That's really. It seems so accurate because oh, I t I, either I, they're I, making it up. Oh yeah. Or they're just stuck in a time warp. I tell people that and this includes the Holy Father, and I say it in the most positive you know, connotation. He he's no different today than he was. Let's say my professor at Boston College in the nineteen seventies. No different. Yeah. 
No, they they have. I give them credit for you know kind of sticking to their guns. <laughs> you know the you know a Protestant theology and Catholic clothes. That's exactly what I studied. In fact, I John. I don't know if I remember telling you the story of finding many of my old undergraduate books in my garage, right where I am here today. And and, and I'm looking at them and saying, holy smoke, like there's not one that's faithfully Catholic and adhering to the mag magisterial thought. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I was ready to throw them in, in the dumpster. And I heard our Lord saying, Tim, don't you dare, don't you dare do that. You've got the evidence right in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> it was right. It was like, oh, thank you, Lord. You're absolutely correct. I mean, this. Yeah. These were the most absolute. I was thinking, you know, there was a feminist theologian back then. I won't say her name, but she was fairly well known and wouldn't let guys enter into her class. How did she get away with that? Okay, at a Jesuit university back in the late seventies. I mean, you know, how did you come back to your faith? <laughs> well, you know, it it was a very I was green rookie coming in. I started out in the School of Management at Boston College, and and the, you know, very much had a profound experience actually in the summer of nineteen seventy eight that uh, prompted me, inspired me to uh, study theology. But what captured me it was an old traditional Jesuit, Father. Miles Fay, and uh, I'll never forget, he was he was the real deal, and you know, he used to say if a theology course doesn't serve to build up your faith, it isn't worth the hill of beans. <laughs> and obviously it stuck with me all these years, and the one thing I remember sitting in a New Testament course, we were going to go through this just scientifically agonizing uh, exegesis of the scriptures. And in the first week, I was told that, you know, the apostles did not write those gospels. <laughs> and I was in that course for a week. Okay. I mean, everything was always done with this air of skepticism, arrogance, sarcasm. And then when you juxtapose that to a Father Miles Fay, it was clear that here was a humble man that was deferential, reverent. I remember being in the, in the bookstore down there, and I ran across a very uh, solid uh, catechetical text, and I looked at it, and I says, oh, this looks excellent. And the, <laughs> Jesuit, the Jesuit looks at me and says, very Roman, very Roman. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, like I'm spending much of my time uh, trying to expose this time period of 1970 to 1990. This was the dark ages of Catholic theology in America. And in order to get to the root of the cancer, you have to go to the sources. You have to absolutely find out when did we go off the rail? And, you know, it was situation ethics as far as moral theology went. And it was just get rid of the old mass. It's all only Norvis Ordo now, okay? It was uh, absolute socialist politics to the max. I, in one of my questions that I put forth for you, I'm adamant about trying to uh, expose this socialist sympathy, which they're trying to draw on Acts of the Apostles. But like, of course, history only tells us it doesn't work that way in the real world. It may in consecrated life, etc. But there has always been this leaning sympathy for socialist thought. And I, at this, I think that explains, you know, to no end, uh, the whole social justice bent that came out of Vatican II and the communist new world order cabal that seems to get only silence from the pulpit, okay? Uh, when have you heard of a, a clergy member speaking powerfully about the value of free market enterprise? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, you know, like an on, you know, you're 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 targeted as this wicked anti, you know, capitalist, right? It, 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 this is where John Paul II was most balanced in his critique, and yet they're not, and they clearly know what has happened to America as of a couple of years ago. <laughs> okay, uh, they know, they know exactly what took place in November of 2020, and yet you just don't hear boo. That's going to put the church into the catacombs. But I, I'm just saying it all it all came from the 1970s, very much so. And these are, that, you know, who's in control of the church right now? It's the baby boomers. And they're 70 years of yeah. age. And I believe that they're, I, I, one other funny story back in, down, down at BC, after 30 years of not being around, I went into the bookstore and I, and I, saw, I saw all the same books. <laughs> I was going up and down the corridors, looking at the, you know, seeing what the kids are being assigned. And I says, gee, I remember these books from my time here, you know. And I went up to the cashier and I said, has anybody graduated here since 1975? <laughs> 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 yeah. and, that, and then it was right on that, you know, then Father Ripperger comes in with that analysis of the demons can, you know, yeah. when you're not walking the walk spiritually according to your office given, then... You know, you don't progress. Uh, ironically, they call themselves the progressives. They're not progressives. They're stuck in a time warp. You know, they're not up to date with the Holy Spirit and where he is moving, in my opinion. Forgive me for my soapbox. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know what's interesting about that? What you just mentioned, the, the youngest of the boomers is 70. Mm. And they're in charge right now. Oh, no, no doubt. There's a really hopeful future if we just went by that calculus. Yeah. Just think about this. In 30 years, when, and this is why Pope Francis, a lot of the older bishops from the 70s are so concerned about what's going on in the church right now. Mm. Because almost to a man, not to a man, but almost to a man, yeah. the new clergy are all conservative. Right from yep. JP2's time, they... You had the JP2 priest, if you will. Yep. <clears throat> now in the 30s and the 40s or 50s. But you know what? They're all faithful. And they're faithful in that way. That is good news. Generation hates. They're the opposite of what they want. Yes. But Go ahead. And then you get even worse with the new breed that came really in under Benedict. Okay. Because they're even into the Latin mass. The effort is to stomp them out. Now imagine 30 years from now. Stomp them out. When these priests... <laughs> who has been basically stomped on mm. almost all of their priestly career, they finally get into the positions of power. Yeah. Imagine then, you might see a, a swing back. It, it, we just took it on worldly politics. If the pendulum swung the other way, yeah. in 30 years, we could see the end of the Novus Ordo. Yeah. Think about that. See, I'm trying to highlight as much as I possibly can Who's in the seminaries? Who's on the faculties of these seminaries? Yeah. Who is the rector of these seminaries? Who is the psychologist administering the personality profile test of these seminaries? Okay, because yeah. uh, they've got the keys, you know what I'm saying? And God's yeah. people, the problem is that, you know, God's good people who are busy making a living, nine to five, the whole bit, you're like, you know, they don't have time to be kind of looking in the closet. And so they don't know. I, I've almost like had nowhere to go with what I knew a long time ago. Now it's all, it took 40 years for the internet explosion to blow it wide open. But, it, you know, th this baloney has been at work institutionally in these 
primary power centers, if you want to call them. And I, let me ask you this, because I, I, I'm thinking to myself, what's a pastoral strategy that can kind of, you know, turn the tables here? And I was thinking of a very good friend, solid Catholic, and he's part of a particular uh, men's group at his parish. And, you know, he's asking me for suggestions as to how to get them motivated and all the rest of it. And I'm saying, well, why don't you come up with something we can call the contract with Catholicism? Okay, kind of Newt Gingrich's spin, right? Contract with America becomes a contract with Catholicism. When we come up with, you know, bullet points of exactly what do we expect as men in this parish, fathers of families with spiritual authority, okay, as to what we expect to be taught, okay, to our flesh and blood. And I go back to a uh, hundred plus years ago, Pope Pius X and uh, talking to a group of cardinals and asking, what's wrong with the church? And the hands start going up. We need more uh, seminaries. We need more schools, uh, you know, etc." He says, no, no, we don't need any of that. We need groups of apostolic laymen, okay, and women, okay, who have the faith and want to do something with it, not sit on it, okay? This is Pius X. Here we are 100 plus years down the road, okay? And we're just, we're just barely, that was my, my question about some of our evangelical friends packing civic centers. What is it that they're doing uh, that we're not doing? And I was referring back to my friend, Eric is his name, and I told him about my experience. I'm also a PGA professional, John. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm, uh, I've, I've been back and forth between the two professions all my life, by the grace of God. And I met years ago an evangelical PGA Tour pro who was traveling uh, throughout the world. Uh, and how did he, he, he had just come back from Beijing, uh, okay, talking about Jesus and the game of golf. And how did he get there? Well, he had, you know, this network of men that were emailing and texting and phone calling and opening up doors for this gentleman, okay, all the time. That's exactly the network that we don't have at work in our church today that we have got to get down to it and develop it, you know? And I believe, personally, you find good biblical numbers, three, seven, or 12, okay? Preferably 12. Get 12 good men at your local parish to get to the bishop and or the pastor and have that sit down. It'll be historic. And I believe our leaders in the church will be ever grateful. Well, that's an incredible idea. In fact, there is things I, I'm very familiar with with uh, evangelical Protestants because my wife was actually oh. a, a, from from that group for uh, many years, in fact, including the first four years of our marriage, and then she became Catholic. Okay, um, and I can't claim my doing it. I tried for a year and then I gave it to over to our lady. <laughs> She's all yours. I will nice. really answer questions. I'm not going to raise this. But they do it's, love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you know, one thing They're practical. What you mentioned about, yeah, very practical. Mm. And Catholics have got to overcome something. Evangelicals are amazing at this. They actually are very biblical in that they regard their brothers in Christ mm-hmm as the most trustworthy people with whom they should do business. Yes. So they actually support one another in the actual business world. Yes. They don't actually divorce their common lives from the church life. That's it. It's not like, yeah, those are the guys I go to church with. No, yeah. those are the guys I go to church with and with whom I do business. Yeah. Those are the contracts that I give out from my company to theirs. Those, those are the guys I send my kids to work for. Exactly. Nobody, and see, it's actually incredible, and they promote one another. I know. Right? Yeah, it's like a, it's like the vineyard, truly. Well, it's true, and it works 
for society because they yep. know they're not doing it only for their own good, yep. which it works for anyway, but they're doing it for the good of society because Christ the King is Lord of history. And it's only and only and only when we get that right that society will flourish. There is no flourishing outside of Christ. I know. If he's not your king, then the devil will be. Exactly. And he will go into the chaos we're living in. John, a perfect note to pause on until our next session a month from now as we prepare for Corpus Christi Sunday next week. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM book review, You Shall Stand Firm. Okay, in our last session we were referring to Father William Casey's analysis of marriage. And as usual, he put that on the platter quite well, uh, giving us quick summary going back to Humanae Vitae of Pope Paul VI and how it was uh, thwarted, kind of in your face, we don't want this, and 75% of Catholic couples began contracepting not too long afterwards. And that started the downward spiral. And it escalated to the insanity that we're dealing with, and I won't even say exactly what those weird woke terms are, but you quite know them well by now. And he gives a beautiful rendition of what marriage is and what it is not. So let's pick it up there. He says, now that same-sex marriage has gained widespread acceptance, what's the next logical step? Well, it's polygamy. In the ancient world, he says, there was rampant polygamy. It was commonplace for men to have many wives, and Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of the hearts of men. Then Jesus came to restore everything to God's original plan. He said, but from the beginning it was not so. Regarding divorce. Christ came to restore marriage to its original dignity in God's plan as one man and one woman with God for life. Genesis 2.24 Wherefore a man shall leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be two in one flesh. This is God's plan from the beginning. Paragraph 1652 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church adds most beautifully, quote, children are the supreme gift of marriage and contribute greatly to the good of the parents themselves. Have you ever heard someone criticize another saying that the other person thinks that he or she is God's gift? Do you recognize the fact that if you are married, you are supposed to be God's gift to someone else, first to your spouse and also to your children? Do you realize the fact that your spouse is God's gift to you? Are you abusing that gift by being cold, critical, unkind, unloving, unforgiving, unaffectionate, or inattentive toward the spouse that God gave you so you can love and be loved? Do you understand that God expects your marriage to be a living reflection of the eternal love between Christ and his church? Is your marriage really an accurate representation of the love between Christ and his church, or is it a distorted and corrupted one to the people around you, especially to your kids? We must be ever vigilant in regard to the defense of marriage because I sincerely believe it is one of the defining issues of our time. I'm quickly reminded of a little tutelage regarding the Sixth Commandment that I did. Mary Beth Bonacci's book, Real Love, one of the best books at the practical level of sex, love, and dating. And this deterioration, corruption of the age-old institution of marriage really goes to the heart of not understanding human sexuality in general and what conjugal relations is. And she used to refer to the superglue of the heart, where the two literally become one. And this is exactly why breaking up is hard to do. And the only way that people could be breaking up so easily over several decades now is that they completely trivialize and misunderstand the permanency and eternal consequence of giving your body and soul 
to another and then taking it back from them. That is just not the way it was intended. And don't think that it's not going to have traumatic consequences on the children, on the emotional stability of the spouse, both of them, him or herself. It's a tragedy is what it is. And we've had about 50% of marriages go down this road over several decades now. And you knew it was going to evolve into sexual madness, which is exactly where we're at right now. And while our hearts truly go out to those who have been the byproduct of this terrible infidelity, the answer is not to just completely erase and forget about the nuclear family as the norm. This is what the woke culture is trying to get the majority of us to do. Now, it's never going to work. It's not going to happen because God's already put into motion his design for how we are to behave within the context of sexual relations. But they're going to turn the clocks back to Christian persecution of the first century if we don't stand up for marriage thoroughly and completely right now in defining exactly what it is to the culture. And it starts with that age-old, what Father Richard John Newhouse used to term, fidelity, fidelity, fidelity. Let's get back to Father William Casey. Now, at times, even Catholics will say to me, well, you're a priest. What does the priest know about marriage? The late Jesuit theologian, Father John Hardin, S.J., used to say, we'll tell God to go away and mind his own divine business. But marriage is God's business as part of the order of his creation, and it has been elevated to the dignity of a sacrament by his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard dissenting Catholics say they want the church out of their private lives. They want the church out of their sex lives and out of their bedrooms. Well, you cannot hide from God. God wrote the book, and as the old saying goes, when all else fails, go back and read the instructions. The defense of marriage must be at the forefront of our consciences because everybody has a stake in this business. The state of marriage and family life is not just God's business, it is everybody's business, precisely because peoples, nations, cultures, and civilizations stand or fall on the state of marriage and the life of the family. There is no way around this fact. History has proven time and time again that no great nation or civilization has ever survived the collapse of the institution of marriage and the ruin of family life, not one. Marriage is the foundation of the family, and the family is the foundation of society. This is why the church has a major stake in the life and health of the family. This is why the nuclear family is the extension of the life of God's covenant family, which is the church. This is also why, according to the teaching of the great St. Augustine, we call the family the domestic church. In his 1981 apostolic letter, Familiaris Consortio, Pope St. John Paul II said, the most fundamental mission for the church is the renewal of family life. The family must be the living image of the Blessed Trinity. As we prepare for Corpus Christi Sunday, may we proceed and present to the world, through the streets, that living image of the Blessed Trinity, our bodies and souls, on loan for eternity. As Christians of old, be that countersign to a wacky world. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Have a great week, everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. Say, Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.